0: welcome to the c-suite podcast from slush 2023 from a beautiful and snowy helsinki we're producing this podcast in partnership with remote the global hr platform i'm your host graham barrett and i'm going to be speaking to the attendees from remote stand here at the event really hope you enjoy the conversations I'm here now with Erica Ottela, who is the COO and founder of eBrands. Erica, lovely to see you.
1: Very good to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Not at all. So talk to me about eBrands and maybe some of the problems you were trying to address when you came up with the business.
1: Yeah, so eBrands is a Nordic brand house. So we own and operate a portfolio of consumer mm-hmm. brands, mostly in the areas of like sports, wellness, and beauty. And the whole idea for the startup actually came from the realization that, well, number one, we're passionate about brands, so we said we'd actually really love to build our own. But if you think about the Nordics, Nordics is actually full of product innovators, like engineers who have brilliant ideas for products, but then often lack the skill or capacity or maybe capital to scale them globally. And specifically, if you look at the Nordic VC market, there actually isn't VCs that are specifically specialised for consumer brands. So it's very hard for these brands that are maybe, you know, one million, two million, five million in sales, it's very hard for them to find capital to grow. So in many ways, we are providing an alternative for the innovators on taking their product global. And we really think it's, it's adding value to the people who want to see their baby grow. But of course, we're very passionate about now going taking all these nordic amazing brands and selling them globally so it really is a is a win-win for everyone i think it's a
0: win-win yeah so what have been some of the challenges in growing the business over the last three years?
1: So, I mean, let's face it, three years hasn't been exactly easy for consumer brands. It's been kind of up and down, crisis after crisis. I think many people can say the same. And these challenges are not only on the, let's say, consumer demand side, which is what all the newspapers talk about, but it's also on supply chain. Are you able to get the product moved efficiently on the time, capacity issues on warehousing? It's, it's been a, quite a ride in many ways. Kind of learning this all from ground up has been an interesting experience. But I mean, we put a lot of effort in really making sure that we get the right transparency in the business. Even if you manage to sell the products, you can easily just kind of squander all your profits on not understanding where do you have inventory, is it in the right place, how do you manage the cost-wise? Because forecasting, inventory systems, as boring as they may be, that is kind of what makes you ultimately the the kind of profits that you need to then continue growing on the marketing side. And that's something we put a lot of effort into in the past few years. And I'd love to say we were smart, but I also think we were lucky that we did a lot of this effort before the worst has now hit. So we've been a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of making sure that we focus like ratio sharp on profits and then only kind of reinvest back to business and grow it.
0: What about recruitment? How do you find the best talent across all these different territories?
1: Yes, I mean, it is truly a global business. So we realised very early on that we don't want to limit ourselves on hiring from Finland. I mean, Amazon, for example, is a big channel for us. There is no Amazon Finland. So finding that talent from here is is a challenge. We started from early on to say we're going to hire globally. We're going to find the talent where it is. We don't care where it is. So it's actually been also a kind of fun conversation culture to build, considering that in the 65 people that we currently have working for us, we're 19 different nationalities, we work in 13 different countries. So it really is going after wherever you find this talent and then making it work.
0: Well, how do you build that strong culture when we're talking about a remote workforce?
1: If you want to build a remote workforce and you hate, as I do, micromanaging, the only way to really make it work is to build strong culture with very strong shared values so that you don't have to micromanage. People know what they should be doing and are committed in doing it. And of course, I mean, you can read books around how you have to define the values and it's all right stuff. But I think ultimately it comes down to a lot of very small Things you do, like as a good example, every time we as a company sell another five million, we hold what we call tea sessions, yeah. celebratory tea sessions. Tea sessions because our CEO doesn't drink coffee, so it can't be, an, you know, alcohol when someone is at 9 o'clock in the morning, not necessarily good, so tea session it is. And the whole purpose of the tea session is, number one, celebrate another milestones, but we also explicitly ask for recognition of people who've done really well recently, people who have gone beyond of what their role is, or who've just done really well. So we have this leaderboard going and they're really fun sessions because everybody makes an effort to be there because it's just such a positive thing. And I think specifically when you day-to-day push it and there's a lot of challenges and you know as any startup you know you're tight resources it's really important to stop and uh, celebrate the success. And that's what these tea sessions are about. But that's just one example I think I could tell you 10 others. I'm sure you <laughs> could but I love the tea <laughs> sessions
0: they sound yes. really cool. Okay just changing track slightly for my final question. Talk to me about AI. That's a big topic at the moment clearly. What challenges, opportunities does that present maybe in an online marketplace?
1: It's a very interesting question and of course you know Slash this year is all about AI. I think the biggest opportunity on AI on a business like online consumer sales is the ease of creating listings and images and making things beautiful for the consumer. The risk is the ease of making easy listings and images and making it easy for consumer because it starts to be very difficult for consumer to say, who are the valid brand houses? Yeah. Who are selling just copycats? How do you understand the quality of product from a listing when you can do it all with a click of a button? So for us, currently, the, the let's say the mantra is that the only way that you win in the future online sales is to be better than AI. And the only way to be better than AI is to go now really on the list say the basics of brand creative so yeah. what is your brand identity who is your customer who are you really trying to talk to why is it important for them because as good as AI is they can't define this yeah. for you they can't and get I... that
0: authenticity maybe exactly yeah.
1: Exactly. so the work we're putting in right now is to really crystallizing what our brands are all about and I mean then you can use the tools to kind of make it easily pretty and, and all that stuff so you can kind of Put the lipstick on a pig but now really one has to focus on a pig much more than maybe five years ago when just the fact that you were able to create you know run the keyword game and create nice looking websites etc might have been enough for you to win
0: yeah kind of that hybrid sensible approach really yeah. isn't it using the human alongside the AI yes yeah. no yeah. and
1: absolutely I don't think anyone can be successful in this business long term who doesn't learn how to use AI because then it goes into the efficiency and stuff so that's where AI is beautiful but you really still have to maintain the heart of your brand
0: fascinating stuff Erika thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today
1: thank you very much it was a pleasure being here
0: Joining me now is Marita Markula. She is VP Marketing and Communications at iSci. Lovely to see you here today.
2: Great to see you, Graham. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Not at all. So tell me about iSci then. Tell me about how the company was founded, where you come from.
2: So iSci is originally from Finland. We are a new space company that builds small commercial satellites, sell the satellites and the related data, as well as then solutions built on the data and the insights coming from the satellites. The unique aspect of our technology is that our satellite technology actually penetrates through clouds and darkness. You can use those insights then.
0: That's not usual for satellites, is it? It is not. So if
2: you'd compare, for example, for like optical satellites, they would just be like a photo type of technology. But this works regardless of, for example, like if there are natural catastrophes happening and yeah, really to gain intelligence and insights. Of what's happening or the changes that are happening on the surface of Earth.
0: So, how has the business changed, would you say, over yeah. since what was it, 2015 when 2015, it started? 2015,
2: yeah. 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 Oh, f- it's been a right? Yeah. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I've been on board for a little over two years. Okay, but even if we take a step back of the origin of ISI, we were founded by two young co-founders, Rafael Mudrewski and Pekka Laurila, who were studying in Finland in Aalto University. And they were part of a nanosatellite satellite group called Aalto-1. Originally then, IceEye was built to monitor ice movement in the Arctic. Hence right. also the name of IceEye. I get it. Yes, so of course, like a small team to begin with. And the first satellite itself was then launched 2018. And since then, we've launched 30 satellites into orbit already. The changes, obviously, if we think about the growth itself, we have raised over $300 million in capital. And um, we are over 550 employees. And also, in terms of revenue, last year, our revenue was nearly $50 million US dollars.
0: Yeah, you're talking about your staff there. I think you've got yeah. employees in, what was it, around 45 countries? Something yeah, like actually that. Over, over over
2: 50 nationalities, wow. yeah. so super international, yeah. very diverse.
0: So how do you go about finding the best talent?
2: Yeah, I think that that is the challenge and the, and the opportunity that all startups, scale-ups have. If I think about even like my own function, marketing and communications, Of course, many people do reach out to us. When they learn about Eyesight. they are passionate about building something unique and they want to be part of a journey in a growth company. We, of course, need to stand out from the crowd, from the rest of the industry. So we find often that people who are then interested in joining us, they share the same values with us, share the same ambition and then through that, we find the right fit.
0: Not always easy to do, Not I'm sure.
2: Not no. Of course, sometimes hiring processes do take a little time. Even if I think about the hires that I've made, I don't want to settle for just good candidates. We really need exceptional, great candidates that then have the skills, bring the diversity of thought. Again, if I think about from my own functions point of view. They have to have subject matter expertise into what they're doing. And again, I just can't emphasize this enough that they are a cultural fit to our organization because it is very different to work in a startup scale-up than perhaps like an established corporation
0: yeah well let's talk about culture then because obviously you bring the people into the business then you've got to create this workplace culture so how do you go about that how do you make it a great place to work
2: well there really is no shortcut right i think that culture happens when the employees actually action the values values can't just be like value statements in a In Google Slides or PowerPoint.
0: What are some of the values then?
2: Yeah, I would say like in our DNA, we often talk about making the impossible possible. Again, if you think about like new space era overall, things that we are doing there, no one's ever done before. So of course, like even that is energizing
0: attraction. Yeah. Yeah,
2: energizing for the people who are joining us. Then it's all about the team and the teamwork. And that is also tricky (laughs) especially also as we grow it's very different to form a team consisting of 10 30 people and then scale it to 500 600 so then you have to start to build processes and structure without neither slowing down the progress
0: how do you stay connected with all those people what would you do Do you have (laughs) Weekly meetings or catch-ups, socials or...
2: Absolutely, combination of all. I think you just can't communicate enough. I definitely need to, for example, remind myself every day that just don't assume that people know or read the air. You have to tell and engage and create like a collective team first of all, understands their objectives, sees their role in that puzzle so that they feel connected with the purpose of the company and their objectives. Desired key results, etc., and then it is from the communication point of view: repeat, repeat, repeat. Process, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the only way to do yeah. it. Just keep
0: telling people, yeah, and they absorb it and they, you yes. know, they live that culture as well. Of now you that. talked about diversity amongst yeah. teams, which I'm really interested in. Diversity of thought as well, yes. as, as you mentioned. How do you build that? How do you ensure that you do have that diversity across the business? It must be quite a challenge.
2: Uh-huh. It has to be a conscious effort. At say we are diverse, even from our origin. Even if I think about the nationalities I already mentioned, Rafaels originally from Poland, Becca is from Finland. Like I said, we have over 50 nationalities. But of course, it's also like the diversity needs to be diverse. Yeah. So again, I want to mention that like diversity of thought so that you don't fall into the trap of group thinking where everyone just has that one. You, but you are open and curious yeah. to also like challenge the status quo. Yeah, you
0: want people to break out yeah, and have, absolutely, Yeah, absolutely,
2: absolutely. It is so important and you have to be aware of it. You have to be also aware of some unconscious biases and really make it happen. Again, I, I guess it's the same thing, like I said, with values. It can't just be a nice statement that, yes, we're diverse. At the end of the day, you have to live through that you promise, right? It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well,
0: sounds like you're doing a great job of it.
2: Yeah, thanks, Marita yeah.
0: Makula. thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Thanks so much, Graham. Thank
0: you. I'm back in the podcast pod now. I'm with Yasha Morugbarti. He is the CEO of Lingio. Yasha, Nice to see you
3: hello graham really nice to see you as well
0: i want to talk about lingio to start with clearly where did the idea come from
3: uh, so basically we we wanted to as technicians help get immigrants into the labor market and the language barrier was a really big barrier so we said let's remove that and help them into the labor market and from that we've grown to not just language learning but also any kind of learning and grown with our clients uh, to do that
0: how much has the business grown in the last what is it five years
3: yeah, uh, so it's uh, grown from just me and uh, two founders and one employee to now around forty people and over a hundred clients, mainly I mean in Sweden then. And we work with you know lots of municipalities, lots of corporations, large corporations. So we've been growing and, and you know bringing like really fun learning to, to staff-intensive companies. So that's been a really fun journey.
0: Yeah, give me an insight into this learning then. You are kind of gamifying learning.
3: Would would that be the right way to describe it? I think that's one of our like really core principles. I mean, in general, like if life is fun. <laughs> if whatever you do is fun, a gamification is a big uh, part of fun. Then you know it, it is something that we h- humans appreciate. So we are trying to bring in gamification. But in general, it's like how do you make the, the time you spend really fun? And if you do that, you know people will learn more, and the knowledge will stick, and they will they will perform their jobs better.
0: Now you decide to start a business. W- what's in your head at that point in time? And how far ahead are you thinking? And when you look back now, are you surprised at how far the company's grown?
3: We are wanted to be a social impact company so we we wanted to help people to get into the labor market. And we now are across hundred municipalities in Sweden, which is almost covering whole Sweden. So we're really making an impact in integrational matters. And people like really, we change their lives to the better. They get jobs or they are already working and they can really advance at work. And so we're every day touching people's hearts, which is I think super good thing. It's not just another SaaS product, it's actually helping people in their lives, which is super fun to see. And we're doing that on a scale in Sweden hopefully next year, we're going to reach all the municipalities across all all the larger employers in Sweden, which is fun for not just me, but all employees.
0: What would you say have been some of the biggest challenges along the way and maybe some
3: of the learnings that you've had from those challenges? It's almost like growing the team. Obviously, you have to, you know, you start as tech founders. Uh, you start, you know, realizing you have to sell the product, right? So you have to bring in sales. You have to bring in marketing, and having a you know, product and tech background, you kind of don't initially understand how sales and marketing works. So just becoming much more humble of your you not knowing specific disciplines and, and you have to kind of be open to learning more. I think that's been a good challenge or opportunity to for us to learn. So it's been amazing to, to learn that much from other colleagues.
0: Now, AI is a hot topic yeah. at virtually any event we yeah, go yeah. to, and this one is no different. Yeah. Let's talk about AI from a work perspective. How yeah. do you see AI changing the workplace? What's, what's going to happen?
3: So I think in general, AI will just make, most people way more efficient in the sense that they will have an assistant or a co-pilot or whichever you want to call it the coach that's gonna help you do the mundane work that you did before and took you like hours and you got really bothered with it but this it will help you do that work much 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 faster which is obviously like a good thing right there's a lot of positives when in regards to work
0: and what about the future for Lingio what do you see on the horizon
3: so we are AI first and we've been doing this research like the past five years so we have this AI writer or AI course writer that helps you create course content within a minute and this is a job like our teachers our designers our developers would do like 10 people would do in two months so it's really democratizing creating great learning content for everyone which we think is amazing to spread that uh, across the world is our new mission to spread knowledge uh, make everyone a creator of great learning content.
0: Well, that's great, because we often hear, don't we, about AI, about the bad that it could potentially yeah. do, and all of the the stories around that.
3: But it's really great to hear that it can, it can be a force for good as well. Yeah, I think so. If everybody thinks positive, like, yeah, let's take good things and do good things with it, I think the world would be a better place. And focusing on that would be the path forward for the world, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to
0: take very good things from this interview, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, Yasha, yeah. Maureen Bhakti, thanks for joining me here today. Thanks, Graham. Enjoyed it. Joining me now is Dimitrius Borisenka, who is the co founder of Coingate. Demetrius, very nice to see you. Thank
4: you very much for having me here. Not at all. Start by giving me an introduction to Coingate. Coingate is a crypto acquirer, a payment processor. We are 10 years almost in the business. Next year we're going to turn 10. We are one of the top payment processors in the world when it comes to crypto processing. So, which means that we process 70 different cryptocurrencies for various businesses and we convert it to fiat currencies such as euros, pounds, dollars, and et cetera. Basically meaning that we open for e-commerce an opportunity to accept crypto payments without any hassle.
0: And you said it's been nearly 10 years, We be 10 years very soon.
4: What have been the main lessons you've learned over those 10 years? So, the main lesson I would say that is just understanding that a complex business is a huge challenge to build and you would need to have a help you would need to have mentorship you need to have a framework and you need to have funding and unfortunately we took a very difficult road a very paved road to get where we are and i think that we made a lot of mistakes on the go and the the fundamental mistake was that we were not looking for external help. We thought that we can learn everything by ourselves. And when you bootstrap, you take so much responsibilities that you can burn down. And when you burn down, you make mistakes. And another important, I would say, challenge and lesson is that you need to learn to understand that the company which you start with and the company that starts to grow, you need to change your attitude and approach to how you handle the processes in that company, meaning that organizational structure changes and you're not a family anymore, you're becoming a tribe, a city, and you need to have different methodology, how you're gonna work with these people and how you're gonna keep them motivated and aligned. So this was the biggest challenge and the biggest lesson that I understood, not only about business, but also about people in general. As a co-founder, is it hard to let go? I'd say yes, but it is also something that you need to learn to transform your uh, personality to actually uh, allow things, ideas, no matter how crazy they are, but if it doesn't make sense, at some point you need to cut them and say that, okay, let's move to something else. This is the mentality of startup. Trial and error, and then uh, if you burn, you take the lesson out of that and you build further. Persistency, Persistency, yeah.
0: Well, tell me about one of the lessons you've learned around global expansion. I understand that you were trying to set up in the US. What happened there? So,
4: US was a very maximalistic and opportunistic approach for us. Right. We as many companies we ignored the signs that it's a little bit more complex we thought that we know we found the philosophical stone on how to get there and it's a, a little bit more complicated when you do a money business a fintech business to go into united states it's a very very competitive and regulatory harsh environment, and it's impossible to go to the United States without having a solid, strong team there. Therefore, we tried to step in the United States, and honestly, I think that we failed by a light year. And right now, I, I think that we will pause our operations over there, and we will continue to work in, in, in Europe and in, in, in other countries where we can operate. But it's so refreshing for me that you can acknowledge that.
0: Yes. and. Do you think that's actually what makes you a great startup, a great business person because you're very open with, with some of the mistakes you've made and you've learned from them?
4: Yes, and we have a culture where we speak openly about mistakes and we are not afraid to admit them. I think this is important for the company's culture in general and so that you don't become delusional within your own team. There is a saying, you know, culture is what it's strategy for breakfast. If you have a broken delusional culture, You can plan whatever you want but if you won't learn from your mistakes and won't reflect you you won't grow and you won't perform and you won't be successful so i think that we are we cherish the successes and we cherish failures even more
0: what about people that you're trying to bring into the business what kind of challenges do you have around that and recruiting the best people Uh, we are
4: located in lithuania and with lithuania it's uh, after the uk brexit Lithuania actually took a very good position on attracting many fintechs coming from UK to start operating in Lithuania. We had a very good operations and a very good promotion of all the fintechs coming over to Lithuania. But uh, Lithuania is a very small nation. We have a limited talents, let's say, meaning that we all compete between the same specialists when it comes to like fintech, uh, compliance, uh, and product itself. So I think for us, the success of Lithuania in the past 10 years also became a problem for us because it became difficult for us to find people in Lithuania. That's why we started to look uh, abroad, that's why we started to look in in also to our Eastern countries, to Ukraine and, 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 you know, and and in other countries, because right now it's too much of fintechs in Lithuania, honestly, and we compete between the same peoples. So this is a challenge, but at the same time, being Lithuanian myself, I'm very proud that we we finally have a mark on the map of Europe IT business. Yeah, it's almost like you don't mind going out searching
0: for other talent because Lithuania has become that base, as you say, yeah. OK, well, let's just finish up. Talk to me about your priorities over the next, I don't know, 12 months. What are you trying to do with the business?
4: So with cryptocurrencies, as uh, I think most uh, of the listeners would agree, it's it's not stigmatized anymore. Many people are in this industry and many people are in trading or in investing or, or just making actually payments with cryptocurrencies. So for us, uh, what we achieved is basically that the industry itself became a very major one, right? And the regulations are coming, uh, very strong regulations are coming so that it will be even more safe, let's say. But it's also a challenge, an existential challenge for cryptocurrency, but I'm pretty sure that we will pass that. And what I'm referring is basically in 2025 there's going to be a regulation called MICA, Money in Crypto Assets, which means that if you have anything to do with cryptocurrencies, you need to be regulated. And it's kind of uh, an ambivalent approach. Uh, you you will regulate uh, decentralized assets and economy, and you can have different opinions about it. But it's a reality that we need to challenge. And we, being uh, 10 years in the market, again cherish the fact that it will become more mature and, and more regulated, and so that there won't be any bad actors, uh, or at least we try to safeguard the economy from that. So this is a challenge, but also a very interesting opportunity.
0: Well, enjoy your 10th birthday, Dimitrius thank Borisenko. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Graham. I'm here with Tero Sarkinin. He's the CEO of Basemark. Tero, really nice to see you. Very nice to see you. Uh, thank you for having me. Not at all. So, let's start by talking about typically a company will start with customers in the country they were founded. But well, that's completely not the case yep. with BaseMark. is that right? That is very right and actually this is my
5: third company and without one exception all the customers are everywhere else except in Finland. How does that happen? I guess it's just that the field where we are in, the first one was software for measuring CPU performance and there's not many CPU companies in Finland at that time at least.
0: Talk about some of the clients that you work with then because you've got quite a roster, haven't you? So,
5: nowadays, uh, for the past 15 years or so, I have been focusing on automotive industry. Our publicly announced customers there include BMW, Lamborghini. There's about a dozen others that I can't publicly tell about. These would be our familiar brands. Why did you particularly target that industry? This started in 15 years ago. I walked into a meeting with Audi and they were blown away by our graphics capabilities. At that time, they had, if I remember right, only two software developers in-house. Now they have thousands. So it was just the right timing to, when automotive industry started to become a software. And specifically, what do you do for these automotive brands? My previous company right there is a market leader in user interface software. So that's that, in all the screens that you see. And Basemark, my new company, eight years old. We are leader in augmented reality solution for cars. So think of AR-based navigation that you might see in heads up display or other screens, things like that.
0: So where can that technology go next then?
5: Well, we are soon probably going to see that maybe the other screens are going to disappear and we'll just have a wind- windshield that okay. is also A transparent display at the same time. That's like a science fiction movie. Yeah, it's Minority Report stuff. And we already have got the whole AR and computer vision stack that enables all that cool stuff, so that all the graphics understand their environment and surroundings, and they blend in seamlessly. So how far away is that? That kind of technology is in labs and probably in some early pilots, but I would say from mass market, maybe five to ten years away.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, let's talk about let's talk to lots of startups, lots of founders here at Slush. Talk to me about some of the challenges of growing the business.
5: These tend to be different at a different stage and also de- depending on the world uh, economy or, or other events. Two years ago, it was super difficult to find talent to hire. It was just ne- next to impossible to find right people.
0: Right now, actually, that is easier, but now then the funding is more difficult. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you approach recruitment then? So, you, know, but you mentioned Germany, obviously, with some of these automotive brands. You mentioned the US as well. How do you approach recruitment in those territories? As much as
5: we would love to
0: recruit only from Finland, there simply is not enough
5: talent, even in Finland. So we recruit globally. I employ a full-time headhunter whose own job is to basically go in LinkedIn and find the people who might fit our needs and then persuade those people to leave their jobs and come and join us.
0: And when you speak to them for the first time, do you get that feeling that they're going to be the right fit? Or how do you get that feeling, yeah. rather?
5: We got a standard process, basically. So we need to first make sure that technically these people are. We, we are quite demanding. But then always the last step is my interview, and that's where I check, do we get along with this person or not, yeah. you know? And so we need to have the cultural fit, value fit, technical fit, and everything, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Just on a personal level, what have you learned from all of your, the companies you mentioned that you, you've started? And I know you, you worked in Silicon Valley for a while as well, yes, didn't you? So seven years, yeah. What kind of lessons did that teach you, and when yeah. was that?
5: I landed in the valley in 2000, seven years there. I said to everybody that it's going to be a year, maximum two. ended up being seven years and my two kids were born there. <laughs> so if you remember, Dotcom World ended pretty yeah, much on that day. That day, exactly. Yes, yeah. And our strategy with that company was to sell to Dotcom companies. So it was uh, <laughs> difficult times. <laughs> so that le- you didn't taught feel like me... turning around and going home? No, I couldn't. I, yeah, I couldn't. I don't give up. It's one of my traits. But Silicon Valley taught me speed and that one needs to think big. You come from a small country like Finland you may be thinking too small, but there you learn to think big. And what about the future then? What does the future hold for Basemark? I'm determined to build this into the biggest software company ever to come from Finland. So it's going to take a few more years, but we are on a good way, but uh, we are really excited about the future of AR, not only in automotive, but there are many, many other fields like remote uh, medical care and uh, field worker automation and things like that.
0: You're very much working on and designing our futures when you come to think of it. So really exciting times for the business. Tara thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Okitos, to all our guests who came to speak with me on Remote Stand here at Slush 2023. I really hope you've enjoyed these conversations. Please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can find us on LinkedIn and all the other social channels. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.